Hello, everyone. Welcome to Measuring the Score podcast, the podcast where we offer our opinions on film scores and the films they're inspired by. I'm Chris. And I'm Leslie. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to Measuring the Score, episode 2. I'm Chris Lott. And I'm Leslie Lott. And today we're going to be talking about Back to the Future. But before we start, Leslie, have you been listening to any other film scores besides what we're going to talk about today? I have not, unfortunately. I've been listening to my Spotify account, which are my favorite songs, so that does not include scores. I have a separate album for that, but no, I have not, to answer I have. your question. I have been listening to, uh, one of them was uh, the Mortal Kombat 11 video game score uh, by Wilbert uh, Roger the second and it was it's really great because it it's not really what you would think it would be for a Mortal Kombat score it was very action oriented very you know and, and it has a great theme to it and another theme another score sorry that I've been listening to is Honey I Shrunk the Kids by James Horner which is fantastic because it uses the uh, Raymond Scott powerhouse theme but it's kind of remixed and rearranged for you know James Horner and everything else so it was I like that score it was it was really great that they finally added it to uh, Spotify because the CD's been around for a it's while it's been a long time since I've listened to the Honey I Shrunk the Kid score so uh, when you sent it to me in the text message the other day I'm like ooh I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this <laughs> well you're a big James Horner fan so yeah of course I am it's <laughs> one of my favorites so and I did not realize he actually wrote the score to that so uh also, you know, that was like a wow to me <laughs> when I saw that he wrote that. I'm like, wow, this is not as serious, it's, you know, because he does a lot of serious work. Right. Well, yeah, he is known for a lot of more serious stuff. But in, for this film, uh, for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, he had a, very, a lot of serious moments in there. But it, it's got like a lot of quirkiness to it. which The I whole was, movie was quirky. Yeah. I mean, it's it's Rick Moranis <laughs> as a scientist. <laughs> So today we're going to be talking about Back to the Future. Now, you picked this film. Yes, I did. So how we split up our first season, uh, we took turns picking uh, the films and the scores that we wanted to do. So this week is my pick, and it's Back to the Future. And um, so I'm going to give a little background on uh, the film itself. Um, So, you know, Robert Zemeckis... uh, was one of the directors for this film with him and his partner. And uh, for some reason, his partner's name just escaped. Bob Gale. That's it, Bob Gale. <laughs> it just escaped my mind. Yeah, Robert, so, Robert Zemeckis directed it. Bob, him and uh, Bob Gale wrote the screenplay for the film. So um, Bob Gale was looking through his father's yearbook and got an idea that, okay, I would love to go back in time and see how my dad was, you know, at that age. So him and Zemeckis sat down and started to, uh, you know, write the story for Back to the Future. So uh, it, it was a basis off of that moment that Gale was looking through his father's yearbooks. And um, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, isn't that neat? It was just fascinating. Um, so Zemeckis, uh, you know, he was known for uh, romancing the stone the year prior, uh, but he'd been working on this film uh, before he did romancing the stone. 
Um, so, you know, he had only a few films under his belt. He wasn't, you know... Uh, yeah, because it was, it was uh, he, he, I think he did some, like, others, like, little lesser-known stuff than he did. Uh, Used Cars, which Spielberg produced. And Gale did that as well. Him right. and Gale, yeah. And um, then it was Romancing the Stone. I, now, I, was Bob Gale involved in Romancing the Stone? I don't, I don't think he was. I don't think he was, but I, I'm not going to to say... Definite because but I know I'm not I know Romancing the Stone is the first time that he worked with Alan Silvestri. That's right. Yeah. So then uh, I think they came to Spielberg with the idea, or they had already you know put the ear, you know bug in his ear about the film, and Spielberg was not really impressed with the score for Romancing the Stone because Silvestri started off mainly in TV. Yes. Which he came up with the theme for one of your favorite TV shows, Chips. Yeah, Chris, he needs to stop telling stories about me. <laughs> but yes, I, my brother and I used to love watching chips. <laughs> and we would stand in the, the TV. Now, the TV that we had, I remember, of course, the old TVs were huge. You know, they were furniture pieces in the house. So it was a TV and it had, the, you know, the wood around it, the wooden case, you know. And my brother and I would stand in front of the TV because it sit on the floor, mm. and we would watch Chips. We just absolutely loved Chips, and we loved <laughs> car racing, anything that had a car with, like, leaves and stuff flying behind it. Uh, you know, that was our thing. So, yes, I I, I like Chips. I'm sorry. I got <laughs> sidetracked no, 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 no. when you mentioned that. And, and uh, I mean, so it, Sylvester was really known for, like, light synth pop scores, Nothing, you know, and he also did a, a Cat's Eye, Stephen King's Cat's yes. Eye, which is like a, a yeah. made-for-TV type deal. And I, I remember hearing that score, and if you listen to it, there is some elements of uh, Back to the Future in there. Because uh, I remember, like, years later after, you know, Back to the Future had already come out and everything else, and that film came on, I started listening to it, and I was like, that sounds kind of Back yeah, to the Future-ish. Yeah, I think he was, he was, he was honing his, his skill set with this movie, and it was the first time... Um, that he worked with a huge orchestra. He's never worked with anything um, that big before because a lot of his, his music were synth at, at the time. Right. And so he's used elements from actually this score that, you know, that we hear now watching, you know, looking back, he's used some of those things that he's learned throughout his music career. Right. So this was actually a springboard for him. So since, you know, he was mainly known for synth pop and, you know, synth score, Spielberg was kind of unsure about hiring Silvestri to do the score. And there was one day where they were on set and Zemeckis was the one that encouraged uh, Silvestri to use a big orchestra because at that time, uh, Silvestri had never really worked with a big orchestra and uh, Spielberg knew this. So he was kind of unsure about it. So Zemeckis told him, Hey, you know, go ahead, let's go for the big orchestra sound. And, you know, just, just, you know, I, I think you can do it and everything else. So uh, I think, uh, Silvestri already had a theme. He was already playing around with it and playing around with the the orchestra and stuff. And uh, Zemeckis had the uh, had the uh, uh, theme playing on set one day, and Spielberg was like, "Oh, this is great. We should, you know, get this for this film." He goes, "Oh yeah, this is the theme for the film. This is Silvestri's work," which is crazy because Silvestri ended up working with Spielberg on Ready Player One because John Williams was uh, busy with uh, another Spielberg film, The Post. So they. Williams and Spielberg sat down and talked about it, and they said Silvestri would be the better choice for Ready Player One because the the uh, DeLorean is one of the the bigger set pieces 
in the film. I mean, they even had the the Zemeckis cube in there. Zemeckis so. cube, yes. <laughs> Which is a Rubik's cube. Yeah, yeah, basically. But, you know, just it has something to do with time. That's right. So this, this was a breakthrough film for Zemeckis, and it was also a breakthrough film for... Um, for... Um, for... Uh, Sylvester. Sylvester. So sorry. <laughs> I feel nights. tired today. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, Michael J. Fox was the original uh, pick for this film as Marty McFly, but he was also working uh, full-time on Family Ties, so his schedule was kind of booked. So in the meantime, uh, you know, they cast Eric Stoltz in that role, and um, Eric Stoltz uh, just did not work out. Zemeckis did not like him. Well, and, he, he, Eric Stoltz was going for a more serious tone. He was a serious, yeah, he was going for more for serious tone. And, you know, uh, Zemeckis had in his mind that he wanted Michael J. Fox. So, well, um, no, they, they wanted it more of a uh, lighter tone. That's right. Well, it's a comedy. Right. And so it was supposed to be a comedy, even though it doesn't, <laughs> it's got some, you know, comedic elements. But to me, as a kid, you know, I took it more serious than, right. you know, a comedy. But um, so, you know, they, they, Recast, uh, they didn't recast. Rather, they rearranged the schedule and got uh, Michael J. Fox in there. So the very first scene that Michael J. Fox recorded in the film was uh, at night. So it was the Twin Pines Mall scene, if I re- you know recall. And it was because he just got off of work from working on Family Ties and had to run over to the other set and start filming uh, Back to the Future. I think it was the uh, producers on Family Ties at first said no. Um, they didn't want to work with the scheduling, so that's why they, Michael J. Fox couldn't do the film. And then when uh, they came back again, they were like, okay, we'll, we'll kind of work with you a little bit. If, if I remember correctly, I think it's the family type producer is the one that said it. And I, mean, so I, I could be wrong. It, I didn't, <laughs> I hadn't seen that, so I can't verify. <laughs> you know, I'm a scientist, I have to verify facts. <laughs> so anyway, um, the other uh, interesting uh, little tidbit about the background that I uncovered was the fact that um, the original concept had 1955, what happened in 1955 impacting 1985 a little bit more than we see in the, in the film and made, you know, 1985 more futuristic than what it is. And, you know, the, the writers didn't like didn't like that at all and the, the people that have read the script didn't like it and you know part of that included marty's father becoming a boxer uh because marty's father knocked out biff in one of the scenes and so uh they were going to make him a boxer in the movie in the future i, I could that knockout kind of, i could kind of see that but at the same time that just <laughs> i don't know i don't know I, I like the ending that they have i do too i think it was great so when we were sitting down, you know, we, we listened to the score first, and then um, we watched the film like like we always do. But the thing with this score, there was there was an alternate score. A um, I think it was like cues. Now I I could not find anything about this. I'll, the only thing I could find was that there was an alternative score. It was a cues that he was already working on and everything else. Now it. Probably what happened was Silvestri was coming up with ideas and throwing them out there, you know, creating a score of what he thought. And this happens a lot. Uh, a composer will make a piece of music, submit it, and the um, director will um, will 
say, you know, let's make these changes here and um, let, let's let's try something a little bit different. So Silvestri probably had something in his head and Zemeckis probably said, I like this, but let's go in a lighter direction because a lot of these alternative scores are very darker sounding. And Well, you know, this was supposed to be a comedy um, and they were... They they were afraid because the Back to the Future is very lighthearted. It's a lighthearted comedy. It wasn't like the comedies that came out around that time, like Animal House and those raunchy comedies. You have those raunchy comedies. Like used cars. You, and then now you have Back to the Future. <laughs> I love that movie, by the way. It's my brother's favorite movie. I regress. Anyway, but it, the 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 score started off very very dark, which was kind of crazy because you know Stoltz was fired off from Back to the Future for being too serious, too dark. So, um, one of the score pieces that really stood out that was a lot lot different was the Peabody Farm, where Marty first crashes into 1955 um, into the um, uh, Peabody uh, Pine Farm. Twin Pines Farm is what it was. Yeah, you know, when I listened to that alternate clip that you played for me the other day, it sounded to me more like uh, a science fiction, uh, something you'd see off of a science fiction film, That the alternate. It had a know. little horror-esque mm-hmm. to it, but at the same time. But then I played the, the score cue that was um, in the film, and it started off almost the same, and then it got very light with the you know with the main theme coming in very slow and everything else and then you know the the other stuff and and one of the things about this score that i have to kind of go back on what i said on last last episode was i said i was not a big fan of xylophones this score is mainly xylophones it's because you know it's that light-hearted fantasy it's got a fantasy element and anytime if you use an xylophone and this is my opinion of course but if you use it correctly you can like amp up any fantasy element in, in your music and you know what i found amazing about the score when i sat down to listen to it was that he had so many motifs in the in the piece but the motifs that he um, set up at the beginning of the score, he used throughout the score. He changed the tone. I mean, he, I mean, he, he, you know, shortened them. He, he drew it out, but uh, he altered it in such a way that, to me, it was very reflective of the time continuum. It's, it, you know, um, I think that he was, he, you know, he did that in, in such a way that it kind of reflected the movie itself. So, to you know. I'm a scientist. So, you know, you think about time being a string or when they talk about string theory, you know, and to me, that's that continuity of that motif throughout um, throughout uh, the score, even though it was written differently, kind of to me was symbolic of that time continuum. Right. And and like you said, the score, it does. The score has a very time element to it. And and listening to the score itself. The you know the first thing out the gate is you know the the main theme and and it's so big it's so adventureful it's so you know it, it's when you hear it the first thing you think of is Back to the Future exactly it's like you know we were talking about Jaws uh, last week and how um, Williams is just the the master of creating these uh, these elements that uh, will put you back in mind of that 
that piece of music or that that movie. And Zemeckis did that here. I feel. Sylvester. Me, excuse me, <laughs> Sylvester. I'm telling you, I'm having an off day. <laughs> Sylvester did that with with that that theme song. Anytime I hear it, I immediately think of a DeLorean and uh, you know think about. Doc Think about Brown. exactly Back to the Future. <laughs> now, uh, uh, there was there was a lot of elements in there that were kind of dark and and you know because there even though this is a lighthearted comedy, there are a lot of dark elements in the film itself, and you know it is very there you know very uh, uh, forefront in the score. But the one thing about this score is that theme is relevant throughout the entire score. It, it's there. It's either you know slowed down or it's or it's just you know one higher or lower, but it's still there. Just about every single track has that theme come back. That in motif, there. yes. Right. And you know, and, the, and you know, the neat thing is, is that uh, and we can get to that when we start talking about the movie. But as you watch the movie, I mean, you hear him bring in that theme or the little small motifs he he had scattered throughout his score, and you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense of why he put it there the way he did. Right, and, and like he'll just have like the first three notes, nah, 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 and then it'll go into something else, and, and and the 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 quirkiness of it, you know, the do 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 that little motif right there is something that Sylvester used throughout his entire score, even. Now, for his, I mean, for the, the Predator, you know, the Predator theme, it has that, but I mean, it's, you know, bigger and bolder and more serious and everything else because, you know, it's an alien jungle. But then Who Framed Roger Rabbit, who was, you know, which was also directed by Semechus. The Witches, the Witches, there, there is a score piece in there because I heard the score. I haven't watched the film yet. Uh, there is a score piece uh, track in there that has that little motif in there, which Zemeckis also directed that film. One of the things that I, I I did like about the score that it, it it was able to go from serious to to fantasy then to comical then back to serious. I mean, he he did blend that very very well. He did blend it well, and you know, one thing that stuck out to me is unlike the Jaws score, which when we listened to Jaws score last week, um, there was this continuity to the Jaws. This here it was kind of uh, bizarre to me because it seemed like the pieces had no continuity. As in, to me, they didn't seem like they were very connected uh, to each other. It was like, okay, here's, here's some music here. Here's some music there. Here's some music over right. here. And um, so it, it didn't seem very connected uh in, you know, in my mind, right. granted, you know, he, there was a method to what he was doing. But so when I listened to it, I picked up on that. You know, I felt like Jaws, that that uh, score could stand on its own if you wanted to listen to it as a, a piece of music. I felt like this score couldn't stand on its own. Because it was it was disjointed. Right. And I, I agree because I mean, there, there were a lot of moments in there where it was just like, uh, uh, it would go from the you know, and then it would go into something else really quickly. And then it go back to like you know, it go back to the theme or something. It, it listening on its own. I mean, it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable to listen to, but on its own, it didn't really like you said. It didn't really stand on its own. Not like Jaws did. Jaws 
kept the story going with it felt just like the, a piece of classical music almost. right this did and, not to me well and we're not saying it sounded bad i mean because that is not the case i mean it was a great sounding score but on its own telling a story to me it didn't to me it didn't yeah, it did not like you know not like a, a lot of other scores do but this one did not to me and the other theme that uh, the other excuse me the other thing that stood out was uh the theme that they used for doc brown you know doc brown throughout the whole movie is he's like a typical scientist scatterbrained you know all over the place and i think uh you know Silvestri did an amazing job with that he was very smart with how he wrote that theme song for doc because um it's all over the place musically it, it, it truly represents the character it does and he i mean to me that was just it was wonderful uh, it was wonderful because he picked up on that element in that quirkiness of doc right. brown's character which which christopher lloyd did a fantastic job he did i love christopher lloyd <laughs> i mean just going back and watching it like like the part the the face he makes when the model goes flying off the <laughs> off the table when it's on fire and he's like ah! that's one of my and his favorite mouth scenes. is like disjoint <laughs> i love that so the watching the film with the score the first thing we both noticed was the lack of score for almost about 20 minutes into the film maybe not even that but the score really didn't show up until the delorean uh showed up at the twin pines mall and that's that moment there when they start to lower the back of the tail bed of the truck and then you see the delorean is when the which the, it, the it sounded almost in. like a um Maybe uh, he, he was using something on a cymbal, or, or it could have been like a water phone, almost, um, which is a very interesting instrument, which the DeLorean reveal right there, that is what, um, for one of the scenes in Ready Player One, Spielberg told Silvestri, he's like, oh, I want the you know DeLorean reveal music. He goes, okay, I'll make something like it. And he said, no, 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 I want that exact score piece. And it's when they use the uh, Zemeckis cube. And, and I thought that was that was great and there's a lot of uh soundtrack uh yeah but not at the very beginning which was also very um which was very uh noticeable to me also you know last time we reviewed jaws and i mentioned uh in you know that episode that the theme started right away. Right. You and didn't even see the shark and you heard the theme. Not well, with this, this one you heard nothing. You heard clocks. Yeah, clocks. Yeah, you, you know, <laughs> which was, you know, cuz it's a time travel. And but the the first piece of music that you actually hear is uh Huey Lewis and the news uh, the power of love. That's right. And part of the soundtrack. You know, that's the soundtrack. That's not the score. Like the score is not heard until what 20 minutes into the film and then right there it's like that even for that time frame, even for the 80s, that is a little weird. That is it, a little... Yeah, it was bizarre. And then, you know, that scene in itself is intense because, you know, that's when the Libyans show up and then Marty goes back into the future, you know, right. back to the past, rather. And um, so, it, you know, the, it, it builds from there and then it gets intense because then you have the Libyans theme, you know. Right. Um, Which, it, it still has the, the Doc Brown-esque quirkiness to it, but at the same time, it's got a more... Uh, action-oriented, serious tone to it. <laughs> Every time you say Libyans, I think of, you know, who do you think? The Libyans! Well, yeah, um, you know, you always complain that I quote every single line in that it movie. It was very, <laughs> very hard to watch this film with her because she knows every line 
to this movie, and I'm not joking about this. We're sitting and watching it, and she starts doing it unconsciously. Yeah, I've got a problem. <laughs> and then, I have a big and then problem. I, 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 I like grip my pen. I'm like, stop doing that. I said, we've got to listen to the score. And then she looks over at me in a very smart like tone and just starts mouthing the words to me like, oh, I'm going to do it anyway here. But I didn't verbalize it. <laughs> But it was, it, it, it wasn't was my though. voice that you heard. It was, it was Biff, Biff Tannen's voice. <laughs> <laughs> no. So yes, this this film uh, I was kind of trepidatious about doing because I love it so much, and so I'm partial to it. So I, I, you know, came into to to watching uh, the movie and listening to the score with with that trepidation because. I like the movie so much, and I'm like, well, you know, I don't want to. I want to be impartial when I, when I listen to the score. But um, I felt like I, I, I did a pretty decent job. Um, I was able to separate, you know, right. the, the, my the, fandom from the right. movie to what and, we needed and to do. One of the things I, I briefly want to go back for a moment that I forgot to touch upon: listening to the score itself. I, I, I was listening to this car, you know on the way to work, the way I could really hear and listen to the score. And once I finished the score, I, I was like, okay, that was, you know, I started formulating the notes in my head and everything else. So I started playing the score to the Mortal Kombat 11. And immediately, as soon as those horns started hitting in the Mortal Kombat score, I kept thinking, you know, dun, 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 it was fixing to come in out of nowhere. And so <laughs> I was like, uh, no, this is a completely different tone, to completely different score. But every once in a while, I would just, you know, I would hear they would hit this one note or one register. I would think that Back to the Future was fixing to start coming out of nowhere. So, you know, Zemeckis did his job. Yeah, right. Well, Zemeckis. Zepe- Zepe- <laughs> I did it again, didn't I? <laughs> so sorry. So, this whole episode is going to be uh, Leslie trying to figure out uh, who scored the film. Who scored the film and who directed it? <laughs> So, it's a new game, everybody. <laughs> Who I, scored it? Who directed it? I felt like, you know, at the very beginning of the film, you know, you had that lack of lack of score. And um, then when the score came in, it was kind of, uh, you know, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, kind of similar, you know, very yeah, whimsical yeah. in parts. Now, in, in your opinion, do you think the lack of score, uh, you know, up until that moment, do you think that kind of uh, hurt it a little bit? I do, and uh, you know, as our three criteria that we we go over, which we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that, but um, I feel like uh, it it did hurt it. I, I would have liked to have heard more of a score at the beginning, even if it was very you know very uh, lightly played or um, small in nature. But I would like to hear. I would have liked to have heard some some sort of music at the beginning of the movie. Maybe that's why for the later sequels they opened up with Sylvester's score. You know, it was right there in your face at the very beginning. Maybe, maybe that's why. Maybe. But, uh, so, when Marty goes back in time, you know, and the, uh, he's in the farm and everything else, the score's there. It's, it's, it's kind of mysterious, but then it's also very, um, it, it works well for the scene. It really does. And, um, then after that, the, the score, when it's there, it's kind of, lackluster you know and i i felt the same way i was kind of disappointed um from the score placement at the the beginning of the movie um i felt like it didn't add nor take away from the movie at all 
Um, Maybe it was just because of the story. I don't know if it was because of the story was building or um, or the the music itself. I just felt like uh, it could have been kind of maybe amped up a little bit or it could have been done differently. But then, you know, you had that scene where uh, Biff uh, gets in his car and his car crashes into the manure Oh yeah, the, uh, the the uh, the um, the uh, skateboard chase. The skateboard chase scene, and quite granted, that is one of my favorite scenes of the film. But um, it picks up from there. Yeah, I, that, I feel like that's the turning point for the score itself. Because then after that, you hear the score more throughout the the film. Well, not only that, not only does the score pick up, the film picks the up. Fil- too. Well, that's true because it's kind of almost like a climatic. It's close to the climax. Right. Um, so, uh, but I feel like the, the score picked up at that point and then carried it through to the end of the movie. Now, I, I felt like if they could have done that to the beginning part of the movie in some way, it would have been a lot better in my opinion. Right. Well, yeah. And it, I don't know. Maybe it was just to, to, in my opinion, maybe it was more because of the story hadn't picked up enough. Maybe it was because it was more character driven at that point. So the score was really not needed that, that much. Maybe that's more what it is. Uh, like I said, that's just my opinion. And, you know, we're not saying the score was bad. No, I was just, I was really sad because, you know, up until that point, I'm like, oh man, you know, this is one of my favorite movies. And now I'm listening, you know, I'm, I'm watching it from a different perspective. I'm watching it from, you know, trying to, to rate the score in the film. And I'm like, it just has changed the movie to me. I'm like, this is kind of sad because I don't hear the score. And I'm like, maybe it's because the story was so good that I really liked the movie. And then all you of a sudden. never really paid attention to the score. Then the score, and then it picked. That's right. It was not memorable. I didn't pay attention to it. Right. You know, even uh, discussing with Dad the other day. Remember, Dad goes, "I don't remember that score." Right. <laughs> the, the only thing you really remember is, is that the theme. theme. You know, dun, dun, dun. And whenever you hear that, and I was even talking with a with a guy at work, and uh, we're I was talking about you know we're watching Back to the Future and we're we're judging it you know against you know listening for the score and everything else. He goes. Yeah, I hadn't really done that. The only thing I remember is that theme. You know, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and he did it right there. And see, that tells you right there, the only real memorable memorable thing about the score is the theme and the, the, the quirky doc theme. Well, that's right. And that's what stuck out to me was not only the theme, but the quirky doc theme. Because right. Doc was very quirky. Or any time that he went back in time or traveled back and forth, that motif. And that's what stuck out to me, you know, as a, as a child and, you know up until, you know, this point, till, you know, this exercise. But, yeah, I was really sad at first. I'm like, oh, no, this is this is not going well. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if Chris feels the same way. Well, <laughs> and I keep and- writing my notes down, and I'm just – I was really disappointed. And then, you know – the, the last part of the film, I'm like, okay, there it is. That's what I remember. That intensity, right. you know, that that's that's it. Okay. And, and when they got to the than- to the uh, dance sequence, um, you know, uh, George McFly and um, uh, Marty's uh, Lorraine, they were uh, George and Lorraine. Are <laughs> Marty's, the- you know. Yeah, Marty's. Uh, uh, whatever she is. Mom, girlfriend, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's having off nights, and it's passing over over to me. So here we go. <laughs> but no, it, it was uh, George and Lorraine's kiss, and um, the music. Uh, Marty's up on stage playing the guitar, and they're playing Earth Angel, and um, uh, the score for that moment's very, very horror driven. 
I mean, if you go back and listen to it, it was, you know, a But lot that of, was a horrible moment. He yes. didn't know if he was going to disappear. Right, right. And 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 again, it it worked well for the scene. And then it was cleverly done. He, right. He's very clever with how he did those motifs throughout the score. And then the score built built into when George, you know, pushed the guy down and, you know, took Lorraine back and that's when they kissed. And the music swells and it is very, very lovely sounding. And then if you listen to the score it's on, on its own, you start hearing remnants of Earth Angel. Now, it's, it's very subtle. But when you watch it against the film, that's when Marty jumps back up on stage and starts playing the song and everything else. The the score is really just kind of building around that song. A building around that song and it's working. Now that is the one part where I was like, okay. And then it swells to this really nice and it kind of plays the theme just very subtly in there. And then it you know, it fades off and the But, you know, as a a composer yourself and, you know, me as a musician, anytime that you think about music or uh, I know that when you compose, you want to know what the scene's about, what elements might be in the scene. So you might can include that into your score. I know that um, you were working on a piece one time and it was uh, something dealing with outdoors, you know, and you're like, well, I think I want to try to add some wooden instruments, that, that oh, yeah. sound I, of wood and sound of nature, or maybe even the sound of wind or something into my piece that I'm working to try to amplify the ambient noises that you might would hear in the forest. So um, I felt like uh, he did a good job at that uh, throughout throughout the film, especially with character developments, you know, taking their their elements of their their uh, personalities and kind of including it into the score in such a way that it, it you know, added to that. Uh, I, th- I thought, you know, like, like I said, it, listening to it on its own, it was great. Watching it against the film, it was, it was kind of lackluster up until, you know, the one particular moment. And then it, the whole ending piece, well, let's, the, the whole ending scene, let's talk about that for a moment. Cause you know, Doc Brown, he, he's got the, the weather experiments, which he bribes the cop. I can't I never, believe you. I never noticed that. I always you know, the noticed cop, that. The cop walks up and he says, hey, Doc, you know, what do you got going on? Something like that. And then uh, he's like, oh, it's a weather permit, uh, weather experiment. He goes, oh, you got a permit for that? And he goes, of course I do. And then in the background, you see him, he's pulling out his wallet. He's bribing the cop. <laughs> I never knew that. I noticed that, but I didn't notice it as a kid. I noticed it as, you know, maybe a young adult. I, I, was, I was paying attention to Marty the put same, the letter in his pocket. Exactly. And I had the same, same, I remember the same uh, uh, just reaction Reaction that you had that, oh my goodness, what's he doing? He's bribing. I was like, dude, holy crap, he's bribing the cop. He's pulling money out of his wallet. What? <laughs> And the look on his face too. He's like, "Of course I do." And I was like, "I was like, why is he acting like that?" And they want to see him in the background. I'm like, oh, "Dude, come on!" So this is this is you know um, right before the whole fight scene. And then when Marty starts to leave, um, he's in the car, and this whole big thing is happening. It is mainly Doc's theme. It's it's that quirkiness that is mainly playing. And then it, it slowly starts. The theme starts coming in, in and out, in and out, in and out, and Right when you first see Doc, um, before Marty shows up in the DeLorean, um, he's looking at the time and he's like, damn, you know, and it, doo-doo-doo, damn, doo-doo-doo, damn. And, and it was pretty funny, but it was, um, 
It matched his personality. It did. Exactly. It, it, it matched it perfectly. Because, you know, he, he probably had a million things going on in his mind. Like, okay, we got to get this going. You know, Marty's got to get into the future. This has got to be done exactly right. We got one shot at this, you know. Um, so you could tell that he had lots of things on his mind, and it just wasn't going right. And then his right. theme song just come in and, you know, kind of amplified that moment. And, and the score worked perfectly trying to convey all that. And, and you know, that's when the whole storm starts to, you know, blow up and everything else. And then um, uh, the wires are, you know, not attached because the branch comes down and, you know, knocks the, the cables loose and everything else. And it, it worked perfectly building all this up and everything else. And then, you um, you know, Marty's able to go back in time and everything else. And when he gets back, the, the score, it, it kind of shifts a little bit. It's not as quirky. It's it's very soft. It's very sweet, but it's still the Back to the Future. Well, theme. you know, it's it's the conclusion to that adventure that Marty just went on because you know he went on to he went on an adventure. Yeah. Um, if you want to to think about it that way, and uh, so uh, you know, very much uh, you know the the home element where he was happy to be home and the right. resolution to that adventure and. So the, the score changed accordingly. Right. And then when Marty sees the, um, I believe the track title is 4x4, when he sees the black truck. His dream truck. Yeah, his dream truck. out in Toyota. The, yeah. <laughs> 1985, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and it was, you know, well, I mean, but that was, oh, that was his, that was his dream vehicle. That was his dream truck. And, you know, the score still stays in that very soft element until Doc shows back up. That's when the quirky, you know, scientist theme comes back out of nowhere. And, you know, but bigger, in my opinion. You know, what I was surprised was that he didn't change it up to match the fact that Doc just came back from 30 years. I think it was 30 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 30 years into the future. He said it was a nice round number. But, you know, that's what he said. (laughs) It was a nice round number. You know, look me up in 30 years, yeah. Be, I'll be in my 40s or something like that. Yeah, I think he said 47. Yeah. He's going to be 47 years old. But oh, I, I was surprised that the score did not change, reflect the fact that, uh, you know, he went back to the future because he could have put some weird instruments in there or he could have, you know, stretched a tone or done something weird. But it wouldn't to, have matched the character, though. It wouldn't have matched the character, but it would have matched what was going on. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's not Doc's character, though. He was still Doc. He was still the same. So, but I was the, surprised that he didn't take um, creative, uh, you know, creative uh, freedom there to to maybe add something that could be futuresque. Oh, yeah, I, I guess you could say that. I don't know. I, I th- that one I'm gonna kind of disagree with you on because I I feel like you know when it when it comes back, about the only thing he really did different was it was a little bit bigger. It was a little bolder. I guess you could say. More confident. Maybe. Maybe it was. Maybe it's because he just come back from 30 years in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little more confident. My machine actually works. And I don't have I've to use... I've got a Mr. Of- Fusion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I run off of garbage. Yeah. And what the... Like I said at the very beginning, I have to go back and eat my words. Because... And the score is mainly xylophones. And it, it works so well. Because it added that fantasy element. Right. You know, even though it was a comedy, it was a, a fantasy-based comedy. And uh, lighthearted uh, comedy. It wasn't raunchy like the 
the uh, comedies that were coming out at that time. So uh, the xylophone just added to that, and it made it uh, really, to me, just you know, quaint and quaint and quirky and, and fun. Oh, it was very quirky. That that is the one thing I said from the very beginning when I started listening to the score. I was like, this is so quirky, but it was fun. It was fun. It was a fun quirky. Fun quirky. Fun quirky. <laughs> yeah, that that works. <laughs> How do you describe the score? Fun, quirky? A funly quirky film. Funly? Fun, funly is a word? Yes, funly is a word okay, for so tonight. Yeah, funly quirky. <laughs> yeah, that Zemeckis score. Because, <laughs> you know, he is a notable composer. Yeah, right, right. Sorry, guys. Anyway, so. so with every with every episode, we always, at the end of it, we always base it on three different criteria. Does it work for the film? I, I agree. It works for the film. Um, I was kind of hesitant at first, but you know, after we watched the film in the entirety, I feel like the score works perfectly for the film. Um, with the inner war, you know, the uh, the change in motifs that he uses, um, the different themes that he uses, uh, even pulling in, uh, you know, dark Doc's character traits and his quirkiness and some of the other characters' uh, characteristics. I think it works well. Yeah, and I agree. Now, listening to it on its own, it, it you know, we talked about this. It doesn't really stand on its own, but against the film, absolutely. I do not believe um, that you could have had a different score for this film. I don't either. And, you know, as I've said before... I, maybe maybe that's a nostalgia? Or, maybe. Or, and that's where I was having difficulty uh, watching this because I have watched it so much. And as you said, I, I quote every single single line in the movie um you know i i sat there this time around trying to imagine what it would sound like with a different score and i couldn't and i think that's partly to blame uh you know uh, my uh love for this film was partly to blame for that so um i don't think that another score could come in and now see you're you're a really huge fan of this one see whereas i like the second one more so my love for this film is not as great as yours, but at the same time, I still could not imagine because I, I even though I own the film, I have not watched it that much. I still I, like the third one. <laughs> every time, every time the first, every time the first Back to the Future was on, if it was on like TBS or anything else, it was always at the end. It was always the well, scene. Well, you know, it was, I remember when uh, they used to, to play it on TV, and they would butcher the movie so much when they would put it on TV because there was so much status quo. Uh, that went into it, that they couldn't say certain words. Remember, they would dub words with right, weird right, words, right. you know. And I remember watching that and then comparing it to the full movie, and I'm like, oh, my, he said that? Oh, yeah, like oh, the, uh, wow. like said, um, you're gonna when he, this baby hits 88 miles an hour, you're going to see some serious stuff. Yeah, you know? no, you see, and you see his mouth don't line up quite with the word, <laughs> and the voice doesn't sound right either, and you're like, that's not right. And then when you see the film, and you know, and actually, when he actually what he says, you know, and you're like, wait, whoa, yeah, okay. But then they they used to dub words that you wouldn't think that were bad, and uh, right. I remember one time uh, I was watching something and they dubbed the word fart out, and I can't remember what they changed it to, but he was supposed <laughs> to say fart and he didn't. And, I, and as a kid, I'm like, that's the funniest word in the English language. Why did they do that? You know, <laughs> but. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, as, does it work for the film? It, it absolutely does. And so, as I was saying, you know, you're you're a bigger fan of this film. I still could not picture another score for this movie, and that was and, difficult for me. But I think it was because I love the film so much. Right. So the second criteria is the best parts of the film with the score for you. 
My best part is what I have mentioned before, the skateboard scene where Biff uh, runs into the manure truck. To me, that is the best part of the score. It's also the turning point for the score um, because it builds from there. It really does. It really does. I mean, because that's when the theme's really big in your face so the, you know the rest of the score is as well really ac- a big action scene it one really of the is. first big action scenes i would think yeah. i mean you had some it, well, action well no no the first big action scene is the libyan scene at the very yeah beginning. but for me i feel like the scene with biff was a lot bigger than that yeah i could see that i think maybe it goes back to the store the score it's kind of downplayed up until that point right. now for me the uh best part best part of the film with the score is when uh, Marty's writing the letter to Doc. Oh, that very sweet. Uh... Yeah, and it, it's basically the theme, but a couple of notes are changed around. It, it's instead of, you know, it's, you know, a lot softer, a lot sweeter sounding. And it, it to me, it kind of fit the... Um, um, it kind of fit what Marty was going. His emotions. Yeah, it really. Yeah, thank you. It really fit his emotion for that moment, and, and I don't know. It was just the way it was played out and everything else. And to me, that right there is Marty's theme. And it, when it came to the forefront, right then and there, because that was one of the things we also talked about. There, there was in Jaws. A- we talked about it in Jaws. Also, your favorite part was uh, that father and son theme and how. Um, yeah, I really like that. And the, how they brought in that uh, that element of uh, a tender love. And it's very similar uh, in this instance because, you know, Marty's writing this letter to Doc out of love. He, I mean, he loves his friends and he doesn't right. want you know anything bad to happen to his friend in the future. And it's a very tender moment that um, he's sitting down writing this letter and the music does... Uh, reflect that so right. he did a good job um, and i really love the the instrumentation and everything else it was just I, when i listened to it i listened to it uh, to that one track a couple of times and then when it happened on the film i'm like okay that's that's why that i makes liked sense. it yeah, yeah so the third criteria is what could have been done better and in my opinion what could have been done better was that they would have added score at the beginning of the movie. Right. A little bit more of the score, it being more involved, even in the background. Um, I feel like if they would have amped it up just a little bit in the beginning of the movie, you would just have an outstanding uh, outstanding flow throughout the whole right. film. And I, I agree. I, I think, I, th- I mean, because like I said before, they did this with the later films. I think they should have opened the film up with, the score, not not the ticking clocks or nothing like that. Which I mean, that you guys still had the that in the background. Ticking clock would have been fine, but you know that first scene that he comes into Doc's uh, house or apartment, whatever it is, because you know his house burnt down. But the place where Doc was staying, and he comes in with his skateboard, and he says, "Doc, Doc, are you in?" Uh, you know, it calls for Einstein. They could have added an element. The the the, the, uh, the same instrument that he used for the glory yeah. reveal. He could have had that. I mean, because you got all these machines that are working. I mean, they're kind of weird. It could have been even a single note as he's looking for Doc or Einstein, and it's just nothing. And um, I feel like if they would have just, you didn't even have to be constant because I do like listening to dialogue. Uh, I like old films in in that respect because you hear a lot of the dialogue. Um, but I, I feel like if they would have added just a little bit more score at the beginning, it didn't have to be, you know, constant, uh, it would have been better. Right, and I agree. I mean, and that was the main thing. So 
in closing, it was a good score. I mean, a, a really great score. I mean, a very memorable theme. It was a memorable theme. I think it was a great score. I don't think it could stand on its own um, because... It, it know, was definitely made for this 50 film. years from now, if you pick it up and not realize that it was written for a movie and you start listening to it, you'd be like, hmm, this is really bizarre. And you would. Yeah. It's just, to me, it's, it's, it's scattered. But when you listen to it uh, with the movie, uh, it makes sense. It really does. And, and I agree. If you just pick it up and listen to it 50 years from now and you've never heard of Back to the Future, which I can't not believe, uh, <laughs> I... I I think it, it would be very weird, very, you know, maybe a little too quirky in moments. But against the film, it works phenomenally. It works phenomenally. And I think that it's going to be another one of those timeless, uh, timeless pieces that, you know, you're going to remember, especially, especially when we get into nursing home age. Oh, yeah, I remember Back to the Future. <laughs> oh, look, he went flying through the air. He slipped on some ice. <laughs> Poor Bob. <laughs> Poor Bob. <We're laughs> Bob is our, our, our friend at the nursing home. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that went flying through the air like the DeLorean. Because he slipped on ice or something? Because he slipped on ice. He slipped on jello. That's what it was. He slipped on some jello. <laughs> he slipped on his lunch. <laughs> Poor Bob. <laughs> so uh, that was our episode for uh, Back to the Future. If you uh, feel free to catch us on social media, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, uh, you can also send us an email at measuringthescore at gmail.com. Um, if you have any ideas for, you know, uh, a score, you can tell us what you thought about this episode, past episodes, what you would like to hear for future episodes. Um, maybe you have a score yourself that you would like for us to talk about. Maybe a film you'd like for us to talk we about. We love films. Even if it's indie, we love it. <laughs> exactly. We do not care. We do not discriminate. We do uh, not discriminate when it comes to to lots of things and film is one of them (laughs) so for measuring the score i'm chris lott and i'm leslie lott thank you very much